In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, light revealer. Glory, glory be to thee. That's really, if we had to, man, in a nutshell, that's the phrase, in a nutshell, that's what this sermon is. Holy Spirit, light revealer. We sang six stanzas just now about God's creative speech that shines light into our darkness. Just like God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he created the cosmos by speaking. He says to us, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, I forgive you your sins. You are mine. You are my child. So we can sing. Thank you, God, for making me, me. Last week, by way of a bit of a recap here, and I'm going to try to really fly through this, so hold on to your hats, okay? Last week, the message of Christ crucified for us. It sounds weak. It sounds like foolish nonsense to the world, but to those who are being saved, it is the power and wisdom of God. This funny thing happens. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and and creates faith within you, all of a sudden the gospel isn't nonsense anymore. All of a sudden the gospel is powerful. It's the thing that gets you through deaths in the family. It's the thing that gets you through miscarriage and cancer diagnosis and loss of a job and loss of a house. It's the thing that gets you through. It's power. And it's wisdom. It's not weak and foolish anymore. God excludes anyone's boasting in their capacity to uh, be smart enough to understand all the fine points of theology or to otherwise come to have a strong grip on faith by using the weak, foolish, and even non-existent things to shame the strong and powerful things. So then we've got to deal with this question. If the gospel cannot be earned or comprehended by our strength or our status or our intellect, how do we come to know it? I kind of let that cat already out of the bag. We saw it happen here twice at the start of our service. God, the Holy Spirit, comes into us, lives within us, makes us God's temple and gives us the mind of Christ. And in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul explains how this works out in his own ministry. The first thing he says, and if you want to follow along, this is all printed for you on the back of your bulletin, except the last oh, four verses or so. But don't worry, I don't have much to say about those anyway. Paul says, guys, this is why I preached to you so meekly and plainly and simply. I wanted your faith in the gospel to not rest on like, wow, that guy's a great preacher. But I wanted your faith in the gospel to rest on the power of God for you. The second point is this. There is a place for wisdom within the church. After Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 that God shames the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world can't come to know the cross. Paul Paul does say, among the mature in the church, we do impart wisdom, but it's a certain kind of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom that the world values and knows how to talk about. It's wisdom taught by the Spirit, wisdom received by the Spirit. So, to the first point, our faith must be founded on God's power. Lofty speech and wisdom for Paul were put on the shelf. He spoke so plainly and meekly that the only thing people would depend on, because I don't know if this means his sermons were just really dull and boring, and like he just talked like this the whole time about the gospel, 
And there was never any interesting stuff. There was never any contour. There was never anything that drew the listener in. Or if he just means, I think really what he means is this. There was this, um, there was this group at the time. They were called the sophists. And the word um, sophomore comes from this. Sophos is wisdom in Greek. And sophomore is a wise fool. Uh, because moros, we have this word moron, right? Sophomore is a wise fool, right? You've been in school long enough to think you know some stuff, but you really don't know that much of anything. Sorry, sophomores. <laughs> okay? And as if that's not enough, you know, if you, if you go to college, you get to be a sophomore again. And in some ways, we never stop being sophomores, do we? <laughs> the sophists... They, were, um, they would develop the ability to seem credible or to seem believable when they were talking about anything. So they would talk about religion or about law or about culture or politics or anything like that. And they would speak in such ways, right? They, they knew the laws of rhetoric. They knew how to draw people in and appeal to the mind or appeal to the heart or to appeal to fear or other emotions, so that people would believe them, right? They would have their audiences eating out of the palm of their hand, even if what they were saying was total garbage. And Paul, knowing about those guys, is saying, I did not preach to you with eloquence or wisdom because I didn't want your faith in the gospel to be built on my delivery, the way I preached it to you. I presented the gospel to you in a straightforward way, earnestly, eagerly, not really remarkable, certainly not like the well-known preacher Apollos, who was mentioned already in 1 Corinthians, who everyone was so taken with because of his preaching talent. Paul says, this had to happen because otherwise your faith might not be actually built on the gospel's power. And we, we come across this in our own lives, right? Some sermons are more interesting than others. Some preachers are more dynamic than others. That is a... Excuse me. Wow. Speaking of preachers and being dynamic. That's a predictable part of human experience. It's an okay thing. Some people are drawn more to certain kinds of preaching than others. That's why there's not one pastor for every Christian on the planet. There are thousands of pastors, thousands of churches. The Holy Spirit gives all kinds of spiritual gifts to the church so that everyone is grown up into maturity in Jesus. But the goal of every pastor, the goal of every preacher, even the ones you know, who just really have dynamite sermons, either in the, in the craft of the, of the content or in the delivery, it's like, wow, that guy should, I mean... Take that show on the road. All faithful Christian preaching has this goal, is that at the end of this, all of us should be saying, not, wow, that preacher was something else. I love listening to that guy. That's a failure on my part, if that's the reaction. The reaction should be, by the grace of God, I love hearing about Jesus. I love hearing about Jesus, about how God loves me, how God has forgiven me. 
how God has not abandoned me. So Paul goes on to say, wisdom does have a place. At the very beginning, people have to understand the power of the gospel and not get it twisted, not misunderstand things. And so preaching is straightforward and not, uh, not impressive as the world would regard impressive speaking. But he does say there is a place for wisdom in the church, but it's not wisdom as the world reckons wisdom. It's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. I was reading a commentary this this week and this quote seemed helpful. It says the Jerusalem authorities in the AD 30s who were wise by human standards, who were powerful and noble, men like Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, and Caiaphas, rulers mentioned in the Gospels, they were steeped in the culture and wisdom of their day and yet... With all their sophisticated knowledge, they failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they executed him. And that's what Paul says. He says, if the the rulers of this world really knew the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They missed it. All the wisdom of this world misses it. Paul says, it is a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Let me say that again. The wisdom in the church is a secret hidden wisdom from God decreed before the ages for your glory. We're going to walk through that bit by bit. Genesis 3.15, way back at the beginning, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is worse, having your head bruised or having your heel bruised? Please say having your head bruised right? Like crushed. The he that will crush the serpent's head is Jesus. In Genesis chapter three, the secret hidden wisdom of God is already revealed before they even left the garden of Eden. St. Peter puts it like this in first Peter one. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Sidebar here. In other words, the prophets that we have in the Old Testament, they were wondering, who is this talking about? When is this going to happen? They wanted to know more about this. Peter goes on. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The prophets knew that they were speaking for our benefit. They didn't get to see the fulfillment of all of this, but they were participating in this hidden wisdom from God that was decreed long ago. This good news of Jesus, in other words, is not just this new thing that's so great and nobody saw it coming. Like, wow, isn't this a nice development? This was always the plan. And God is doing this for our glory. Angels, who are invisible to us now, but are present in this room, angels long to look into these things. They are eagerly watching this play out. What's going to happen next? We can't miss this, right? This is glorious. And in the age to come, we're going to understand just how glorious Paul writes to the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Remember this, Christians. The Lord Jesus Christ hung on that cross not only to take something away from you, but to give you something. He takes your sin and gives you perfect righteousness. He takes your shame and gives you honor. He takes your lowly estate and gives you glory. This glory is mostly hidden from us now, just as the glory of the cross was hidden to the world. It continues to be hidden to the world, but what awaits each one of you in the age to come is glory. More glory than any earthly king or queen or head of state has ever received or enjoyed. That's what's ahead for each one of you. You will shine like the sun for an eternity of eternities because of what Jesus has done for you. We will then know in an entirely new way what it means to be made in the image of God. Think of how glorious God is. We are made in his image and we're promised that that we're going to receive glory because of the work of Jesus in the age to come. Now, back to this wisdom, the secret hidden wisdom. Where do we get it? Who speaks it to us? How do we understand it? Do we have to study real hard? Do we have to read the Bible in a year with one of those reading plans? It's already February. You better get caught up. If that's the case, don't worry. That's not how this works. Although reading the Bible is great, coming from a pastor. That's the thing you should be doing because it's good for you not because you need to do it to add to God's love for you. The wisdom is revealed to us by God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is given to us that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit gives the words to me to impart this wisdom to you. The Holy Spirit gave the words to Miss Leanne to impart the spiritual wisdom of God's love to The young children, I almost just sent this bulletin flying off the pulpit. God gives each one of you spiritual wisdom to counsel your loved ones and your family and your friends, to comfort them with scripture passages, to pray with them. God is always at work in the church. It's like how um, this wireless microphone works. I'm wearing a transmitter and there's a receiver back here in this room. Oh, somebody's feeling a little punchy in the pews. My own daughter, how about that? This thing only works if the transmitter is on and the receiver is on. Otherwise, I mean, you can kind of hear my voice, but uh, unless I speak really loud, this thing is useful, and whatever I'm saying up here is of no benefit to you. One part sends the signal, the other part receives the signal. We all can understand what's being said. The Holy Spirit does both parts for us. The Holy Spirit sends the wisdom. The Holy Spirit lives within us to receive that wisdom so that we can comprehend just how much God has given to us. I think that's my cue. Let's wrap this up. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ. The things that seem to the natural person to be folly and useless and a waste of time are power for us. They're able to be discerned by those who believe in Jesus. How many pastors have preached the gospel to you? How many uh, 
Christian teachers and leaders have you heard on the radio? How many podcasts have you listened to? How many times and ways have you heard the good news of Jesus in your life? Have you ever really had to be convinced? A lot of you probably grew up in the church. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had to be convinced to stay? Or is the truth of God's love for you in Jesus Christ self-evident to you somehow when you hear it? Even if you can't really put it into words. The Spirit of God, given to you by God, tells you in your heart that you're his child. Confirms within you in the hidden place, that God loves you, that God has forgiven your sins, that this is not just a waste of time, that this is a good use of your Sunday morning or of your Thursday afternoon or evening if you're watching on TV. I have no power to make you believe the words that I preach to you. I get up here and I hope that you're going to listen, but I've, there's no switch that I need to remember to flip in order for the spiritual power to turn on in the room. I proclaim what I've been given to proclaim. I don't come up here and, you know, talk about my own opinions on whatever else, right? We've got the word of God. We've got the Lutheran confessions. I promise to teach according to that, and I proclaim it, and the spirit of God moves in this room, in your hearts and in your minds, so that we would be encouraged by this, so that we would receive it and understand it. And God's word is strong, right? As we sang, from the cross thy wisdom shining breaketh forth in conquering might, from the cross forever beameth all thy bright redeeming light in thy strong word about 18 minutes ago. If you see the light of the cross, it's only because we sang, at, right, as we sang at the very end of that hymn, Holy Spirit, light revealer. God's light shines forth from the cross and we only have eyes to see it when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to it. Martin Luther says, in his explanation to the third article of the creed, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified me, and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. The Spirit of God, who knows the mind of God, daily, weekly, continually keeps us in the faith. Thanks be to God for his preserving work in our lives. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.